when we got into Romans chapter 11, the first thing we looked at was Paul, and it was presented as an individual view, because Paul as an individual is saved, was saved, still is saved with the Lord and glory. But we, we talked about how that was a picture of the nation. It was an individual scope, though, as proof or evidence that God is not done with the nation. Uh, then we looked at Elijah um, last week's sermon and how Elijah as an Old Testament prophet was used as the example and how God had to rebuke Elijah basically and let him know, look, you're not the only one left. There's a remnant. And so we, we understood that there always has been a remnant. And in Romans chapter 11, verse number 2, it says, God hath not cast away His people which he foreknew. And then at the end it says, at the end of the verse, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel. And again, we see this presentation of the evidence. It's God's people. He foreknew them. It's Israel. And so it moves from an individual view from Paul to, a prophetic, to the Old Testament prophet Elijah um, proving that there's still a remnant. And then, it, and, and then there's this scope of a national view concerning Israel, which is the big lens that's being brought out in Romans 11. And even though God's nation is elect, throughout history, there has always been individual, different individuals who have lived as national Jews. And there's a difference here between a national election and God dealing with a nation and, though, and then individuals within that nation who are basically required to trust and obey God and then God by His grace deals with them. And I say that because we need to understand that the election of God's nation Israel there's nothing that you and I can do there's no nothing a politician can do nobody could do to stop what God is going to prophetically do with that nation does that make sense he is not forsaken that nation the individuals that live within that nation when they trust God now they're the remnant but those that don't are left without God. You understand that, right? Because you have a whole nation that's wholly given over to idolatry. Well, they die without trusting the revealed truth that God gave to them. They didn't go to paradise in Abraham's bosom. <laughs> so you can't say every single individual within the nation is elect because not every single individual in the nation is elect. That nation is elect. And God's going to deal with that nation, as we'll see. Now, go to Deuteronomy 7. I ask you to turn there. I think there's two places in the New Testament where we're called His people, uh, but m more often than not in the New Testament, we are His saints. But in the Old Testament, God referred to His people, that, Nash, that nation of Israel, he referred to them not as saints, but as his people. Matter of fact, it's 91 times throughout the Bible. Actually, more than that. More than that, I believe. Um, Deuteronomy 7, look at verse 6. 
Bible says concerning the nation, for thou art an holy people. You, you see, it's not an individual. It doesn't say uh, there is a one holy person. Thou art an holy people collectively, that nation, unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people. When he says he has chosen thee, he is referring corporately to the nation. Understand, not every individual within that nation trusted God. Uh, above all people that are upon the face of the earth, and that is true. That's the one nation that God called out, starting with Abraham. The other ones he didn't. Uh, look at verse number 7. Watch what it's based on. The Lord did not set His love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people for you were the fewest of all people. There's a hint there, right? I mean, right in Deuteronomy 7 of God's love for His people. And that fewer in number, doesn't that picture the idea of a remnant? It does. Look at verse 8. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Why did the Lord do all that? Because he loved them. He loves his people. They're his people. And he uses this throughout the Bible. And God is not going to reject his people. He is faithful. If he did reject them, he would be complete, he would be lying. He would be completely rejecting the, his own character. And so God's not going to do that. All right, go back to Romans 11. We're going to look at verses number 5 and 6. And while you're turning to Romans 11, also get Isaiah 60, uh, Isaiah, uh, Isaiah one Romans eleven and Isaiah one Okay, Romans eleven, we're going to look at verse number five and verse number six. Romans eleven, verse number five. We move on after Elijah is presented, and it says in verse five, even so then at this present time. Paul's more familiar, by the way, with the idea of the remnant during his time than Elijah was during his time. Remember, we talked about that last week. Elijah had to be corrected by God. And, well, and there's another lesson right there. Now, Paul can glean from Elijah's mistake, right? We should do that. We shouldn't forget those that have gone before us it's easier to learn from other people's mistakes than to learn from your own mistakes. And, and so in verse number 5 it says, And even so at this present time there is also a remnant. Now let me ask you this question. What is worse, Ahab and Jezebel following after the prophets of Baal? Or God's chosen people his people following after the prophets of Baal. It's one thing if a pagan follows pagans. It's a whole other thing 
when a nation is wholly given over to idolatry and that's supposed to be his people. Tell me that wouldn't hurt. You have kids? It's okay if the pagan kids go after other gods. Well, it's not okay, but you're okay with sleeping at night with that. But when your kids do, that's a whole different game. That's a whole different hard attitude. But it's a remnant, and what is that remnant according to? The election of grace. The present reality, we know that the Jewish nation has completely done what? They've completely rejected their Messiah. I mean, they put him on a cross. And so at this present time, this present reality, there is, just like there always has been, a remnant. What is a remnant? It's a small piece that's left over. You ever go to a hardware store and you say, hey, can I look at your carpet remnants? That's a big thing. People buy carpet remnants. What are they looking for? The leftovers. They're looking for the remainders. And what's remaining is the remnant. And it's according to the election of grace. Uh, right now, a Jew who is saved, that remnant, that Jew, they would be placed into what? The body of Christ. That's the church age we're in now. They would be partakers of the heavenly calling, Hebrews 3, just like we are. And even though Israel is a fallen nation, they're a faithless nation, individual Jews who have that lineage and heritage can build, still be saved and be brought into the church. But they can only do that if they abandon their hope in their national pride. And they will be placed into the same body of Christ that we are. Look, I ask you to turn to Isaiah chapter 1. Let's look. I want to show you throughout the Old Testament the prophets. We looked at Elijah last week. But these prophets are will be showing us this idea of the remnant. They've always been there. They've always prophesied about it. Isaiah 1, verse number 9. The Bible says, Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small, there's the word, remnant. And we should have been like unto Gomorrah. Uh, we should have been as Sodom and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. See that in Isaiah 1? He starts off talking about, look, there's a small, there's a small remnant that's left. Stay in Isaiah, go to chapter 7. Isaiah 7. It's a really good verse. Isaiah 7. Yeah, okay, here it is. Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou and Sherejashub, thy son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. Isaiah's son was named, look at verse number three. Isaiah had a son, and, his, and he named his son Sherejashub. Well, what does that have to do with anything? 
Well, what it has to do with, it means, that name means salvation of the remnant. Or the remnant shall return. The, the Old Testament Isaiah named his son as the remnant shall return. <laughs> Every time Isaiah's son walked into town, everybody was reminded, oh, look, there's Sher Jashub. The remnant shall return. They were reminded every time his son would show up. His name was a sign to the people. That's pretty good, don't you say? That's pretty good. Matter of fact, Isaiah was constantly turning to this idea of a faithful remnant all through the book of Isaiah. He talks about the remnant of Israel. The remnant shall return. And which way he's named his son after. The remnant of Jacob. A remnant of them that shall return, we see show up. Recover the remnant. There shall be an highway for the remnant of his people. The remnant shall be very, very small and feeble. Uh, Isaiah talks about, it says, lift up thy prayer for the remnant that is left. It talks about the remnant that is escaped of the house of Judah. It talks about out of Jerusalem shall go forth a remnant. It talks about the remnant out of the house of Israel. All through the book of Isaiah, there's this theme that constantly comes up. What is it? The remnant. Yeah, the remnant. The remnant. Go to Jeremiah 23. Flip a few, few pages. Jeremiah 23. Look at verse number 3. The Bible says, I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries whither I have driven them and will bring them again to their folds and they shall be fruitful and increase. Jeremiah the prophet foresaw the remnant being gathered. Go to Ezekiel. Go to the book of Ezekiel. Flip forward and go to Ezekiel 14. Ezekiel 14, look at verse 22. Ezekiel 14, verse number 22. The Bible says, Yet behold, therein shall be left a remnant that shall be brought forth, both sons and daughters. Behold, they shall come forth unto you, and ye shall see their way and their doings, and ye shall be comforted concerning the evil I have brought upon Jerusalem, even concerning all that I have brought upon it. Ezekiel, the prophet, recognizes the remnant. Keep flipping forward and you'll come to the book of Amos. Amos. It'll be right, right after Joel. And go to Amos chapter number 9. Verse will be 8. Amos 9, 8. Look at this. Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom and I will destroy it from the face of of the earth, saving that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, saith the Lord. For lo, I will command and I will sift the house of Israel among all nations like as corn is sifted in a sieve, yet shall not the least grain 
fall upon the earth. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, which say the evil shall not overtake nor prevent us. It's a picture of God sifting that remnant as corn is in a sieve. And he says, even the least of the grain will be preserved. Remember we saw in Deuteronomy 6, they were the fewest of people. Yet God chose them. And let me just tell you practically today, if you're of the Lord, He will protect you and preserve you. You can mark that down. And the good grain, it's stored in the heavenly garner. And that's a blessing to get a hold of. You don't have to fall. You don't have to worry about falling to the earth and being destroyed. God's got you. It's a beautiful picture of sifting and salvation, being saved and trials. Uh, yet within that trials, uh, within that trial protection, um, this remnant idea is this picture of scattering. Yet there will be gathering of that remnant. We see that through a beautiful picture that Amos the prophet gives us. All right, keep going. Go past Jonah and come to the book of Micah. No surprise, people are following after false prophets. They're living for their own lusts. And most of them are just living wicked. And watch what Micah does. He reminds, he prophesies, that the remnant of Israel will be gathered in verse number 12. Look at... Uh, Micah 2, Micah 2, verse number 12. I will surely assemble, O Jacob. See that? All of thee. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel, and I will put them together as the sheep of Bozrah, as the flock in the midst of their fold. They shall make great noise by reason of the multitude of men. It's a prophecy of the remnant. Now, nationally, they are elected to receive all of the promised blessings nationally. But individually, they must repent and trust God. We've talked about this before at Christ's second coming and then fleeing into the mountains. And we talked about, we talked about Paul, that light from heaven is a picture of that national conversion uh, that's concerning that remnant. So I can't go, we're not going to go over all that right now, but there is going to be a remnant, there always has been, that will repent of their wicked ways and trust, finally trust God. All right, let's look at one more Old Testament scripture and then we'll pop back to the New Testament. Uh, we'll be in Zephaniah. Keep flipping your Bible forward. You'll come to Nahum. You'll come to the book of Habakkuk. And right after Habakkuk, you'll find the book of Zephaniah. Get chapter 3. Zephaniah chapter 3. And verse number 9. Bible says, For then I will turn to the people a pure language, that they may call upon the name of the Lord to serve Him with one consent. 
From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my suppliants, even the daughter of my dispersed, shall bring mine offering. What is this speaking about? These two verses are speaking of Israel's gathering. In Zephaniah, verses 9 and 10. Prophetically, it's about Israel's gathering, or I should say more correctly, regathering. Look at verse number 11. In that day shalt thou not be ashamed for all thy doings, wherein thou hast transgressed against me. For then I will take away out of the midst of thee them that rejoice in thy proud and thou shalt no more be haughty because of my holy mountain. What is happening here? It moves from verses 9 and 10, speaking of Israel's regathering. Now verse 11, we see their repentance. That nation is elect. Nothing's going to stop God's foreknowledge and decree regarding that. However, Zephaniah speaks about Israel's regathering. It moves to verse 11, and now it's talking about Israel, uh, that remnant's repentance. It speaks of Israel's repentance. Look at verse number 12. I will also leave in the midst of thee an afflicted and poor people, and they shall what? Trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall not do iniquity nor speak lies, neither shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth, and they shall feed and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. It's the remnant of Israel, and it's talking about their repentance and their trusting now in God. That is, uh, that is going to happen concerning the nation. There is and was always a faithful remnant. And the Old, the Old Testament promised it. We only looked at a few of the verses from the prophets. So do you get this idea of what the Old Testament puts forth? This promise of a remnant. Now, let's go back to Romans 11. And we'll need Matthew chapter number 7. And this is where we'll end. Let's get our spots there. Matthew 7. And Romans 11. <clears throat> Alright, Romans 11, it says, verse... Number five, even so at this present time also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. The New Testament proves that nothing but grace secures the remnant. The Old Testament promises it. The New Testament proves that it's by grace. Look at it, verse 6. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Now, one thing about the, uh, nation, uh, the, 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 the remnant. 
Remember we said earlier, nations are made up of whom? Individual people, right? You can't have a nation without individual people. A remnant is a small piece, a remainder, a leftover. Now think about this for a minute. You've said this as a parent. The majority is not right. <laughs> Matter of fact, the majority is almost all the time not right. The majority isn't right. There's a remnant that's left. God told 12 spies that they can conquer the land. What did 10 of those spies say in numbers? Nope, can't do it. The majority was absolutely wrong. Who was left? The remnant. Who was that? Joshua and Caleb. That's an idea of the remnant. When you feel outnumbered, don't think because you're outnumbered you're wrong. Christianity, especially true biblical Christianity, it's way outnumbered in this country. Don't think because we're fewer in number that we're wrong. There's a remnant. We're it. And I don't mean just we here in this church house. I mean we as Bible-believing Christians all over the world, we're it. We're the remnant. It's our job. Remember we talked about this morning, the harvest is white, but the laborers are few. It's the idea of a remnant. There's even a remnant within the remnant. You think about what we talked about with Elijah. Man, he's out there standing for God. And there's 7,000 men that God said, I've reserved, they've not bowed the knee to Baal. And Elijah's like, well, where are they at? <laughs> well, they're hiding in caves right now, Elijah. But So there's even a remnant within the remnant that's actually going to get out there and do something. Matthew 7, here's why don't count on the majority receiving it. The gospel is not a popular message. And the bottom line is the majority won't receive it. That doesn't mean we don't bring it. It just means we have to understand when we bring it, this idea or concept of a remnant. Matthew 7, verse 14, you all know the verse. Uh, verse 13, back it up. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to what? Destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. If you're here this afternoon and you are going the broad way, you are on a path that will lead you nowhere but destruction. It won't end well. The broad way never ends well. And many be which go in thereat. You've been going that way for so long, it isn't going to lead anywhere. Stop using the excuse, that's where I've always gone, and that's where everybody that I know goes. You don't have to stay on that path. It's a broad way and it'll lead to destruction. Look at verse 14. Because straight is the gate. Get your life on the straight path. Get your mind straight. Get your life straight. And narrow is the way. You find yourself a little flock where it's a narrow way and you're probably right about where you need to be in God's will. you got to get off this. Everybody's doing it the broad way. It's a destructive way. God said, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, 
Here's the idea of the remnant. But few there be that find it. Why don't you be part of the few? Why don't you be part of the remnant? Why don't you be part of the crowd that says, enough with this going that way with the crowd. I'm going to get right in here on this straight and narrow. And you trust Christ and nothing else for the salvation of your soul, and He will save you by His grace. Won't He, brother? Amen, amen and amen and hallelujah and all the rest of it. Because God is in the business of saving people. Amen. And He does it by His grace. Romans 11, we'll finish here. Watch what it says in verse number 6. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Verse number 6 is defining grace. Anybody ever hear of a dichotomy? You know what a dichotomy is? It's you put two opposing views or two opposing choices and you separate those choices. That is what is happening in verse number 6. Paul, under the Holy Spirit's inspiration, is defining grace. And he, and he has to separate them because false religion doesn't. What do they do? What does false religion do? Combines them. What are you talking about? Here's what I'm talking about. Do you know of any religious person that if you were to say, hey, do you believe in God's grace? They would all say yes. Talk to a Roman Catholic and say, hey, do you believe in God's grace? They'll say yes. Talk to a Jehovah's Witness, a Mormon, a Hare Krishna, uh, Islam, it don't matter who it is. Talk to an atheist. You could probably even get them to say, yo, yeah, yeah, I believe in grace. They all will say they believe in grace. So Paul has to do something in verse 6. He has to use a dichotomy and he has to split the choices and he has to say, okay, if you believe in grace, it must be the way the Bible defines it. And how does he define it? By absolute and complete separation from works. Because the Roman Catholic will say, yes, I believe in grace and works. It's not that they don't believe in grace. But the Mormon wants to do good works and do the best he can. And then he, at the end, he wants to tap on, oh, well, you know what? I do have a coupon. <laughs> Here's my coupon of grace. That is not grace. Every religion has grace. It's just combined with works. And Paul says, and if by grace, then it is no more of works. You can't bring any of it. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. The minute you say, I'm going to bring some works to God, don't you dare say you're saved by grace or you believe in grace because you're defying the Bible. Otherwise, work is no more work is what he says. It's a declaration of the truth of what grace is and you can't combine the two. You can't mix them. Religion will redefine grace. They will rework it and adjust it to fix their works-based salvation. Don't allow them to convince you 
that they understand what, what grace is, when they tell you about how great of a person they are, and at the end, they take a little bit of icing of grace on top of their good works. Throw the cake out. It's junk to God. You can be saved today. You don't have to wait another day. But you must abandon every hope you have in your works, in your religion, in your philosophy, in the way that you've done things. Well, I just think God is loving and caring and He'll just forgive me. He won't just forgive you if you don't repent and turn and just trust in Him. You must turn and repent from every hope that you're holding on to that something or some work or someone or some religion or some man or some whatever it is you've got in your mind can help you in any way before God. You must turn from that and turn toward God in true, repentant, trusting faith in what Christ did on Calvary's cross. And God will save your soul. He saved me! And I've been trusting in my religion for almost 28 years of my life. And God took a poor old sinner like me and He saved me by His grace. I'm not a good person. But by God's grace, I receive something that is priceless, invaluable, and eternal. His grace. Amen. Why don't you be saved by grace if you haven't already?